This program is made possible entirely by you, the listeners, and I really can use your help. To see all the things you can do to support the show, check out the support box at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Colbert Report, The Progressive, Le Show, On the Media, The Now Show, The Daily Show, and Citizen Radio with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from markfiore.com. Here is your first quote. This isn't a leak, it's a hemorrhage. That was Mark Mardell of the BBC expressing his surprise at the huge trove of classified documents released that are all about what? Uh, Failures in Afghanistan. Exactly right. Now, for the last um, year or so, the Obama administration has been trying to sell us the Afghan war. It's like a very expensive used car. And ladies and gentlemen, we just got the Carfax. <laughs> Turns out the previous owner was the Soviet Union, and boy, did they wreck it. <laughs> it was all uh, from the last administration, of course. Everything's going fine now, so there's no reason to... Well, actually, yeah, this is true. The Obama administration has said this is all from, you know, up to like two years ago, so everything's changed. Now they're in charge. They made a lot of changes. For example, they are no longer writing stuff down. <laughs> I understand they sent a massive shipment of hope over. Yes, they did. But we begin tonight with what else? The largest leak of wartime documents in this country since the Vietnam War. More than 90,000 U.S. government documents obtained and posted by the website WikiLeaks over the weekend. The last time classified information of this volume regarding an ongoing war was published, it precipitated a full-on war between the New York Times and the Nixon White House. It was, of course, the leaking of the Pentagon Papers during the Vietnam War by a U.S. military analyst named Daniel Ellsberg back in 1971. The Pentagon Papers episode was one of the touchstones in the history of the war that helped turn the public against Vietnam War. The 90,000-plus documents posted by WikiLeaks this weekend are different from the Pentagon Papers insofar as they're a set of discrete and granular snapshots of the war over the last six years, as opposed to a top-down study of the war initiated in Washington. The WikiLeaks documents are raw intelligence, incident reports, threat analyses, as seen through the eyes of the soldier fighting the war, as opposed to an analytical view of the war from policymakers. So in that sense, WikiLeaks is no Pentagon Papers. But there is a glaring parallel between the two that can't be ignored. These WikiLeaks documents have been notable in that they essentially confirm all of the major points of criticism of the Afghanistan war effort that elements of the Pakistani government are to varying degrees in cahoots with the Taliban, that the local Afghan government is loathed and corrupt, that our efforts at smiting the Taliban often lead to horrific instances of civilian casualties, and that money spent on nation-building often ends up lining the pockets of warlords and profiteers. Those have really been the main critiques of this war effort, and they're all essentially substantiated in these new documents. Now, the significance of the Pentagon Papers was that they demonstrated that within the U.S. government, there was an analysis of the Vietnam War's failings that precisely echoed exactly what the war's critics were saying on the outside. And they were leaked at a time when the White House was attempting to ostracize and marginalize the war's critics as just a bunch of flag-burning hippies. 
They help transform the anti-war protesters' critique into something with a tremendous amount of gravitas. These WikiLeaks documents threaten to do the same thing with the Afghanistan war. They essentially validate and mainstream the concerns of the war's staunchest critics. It's clear that it will shape an understanding of what the past six years of war has been like uh, and that the course of the war needs to change, the manner in which it needs to change. Joining us now from London is Declan Walsh. He's the Guardian newspaper's foreign correspondent for Pakistan and Afghanistan. He was among the reporters who was given access to these documents before they were released to the public. Declan, thanks so much for joining us tonight. I know it's late in London, so I really appreciate it. No problem, my pleasure. I guess the first question, since you, you did have kind of a jump start on looking through these, these documents, what surprised you most? What kind of jumped out at you as you were reviewing them prior to, uh, prior to today? I suppose the most striking thing was the uh, profusion of reports that reference Pakistan's intelligence service, uh, the Inter-Services Intelligence. There are about 180 reports w uh, within this dossier uh, which carry a range of allegations uh, saying basically that Pakistan has been uh, manipulating the insurgency, has been supplying them with weapons, with suicide bombers, um, with money um, over the last six or over the six-year period between 2004 and 2009. Um, and this really, you know, it's very difficult to stand up a lot of the allegations that are made in these reports, which are, of course, ground-level intelligence reports, um, but they, ha they do raise a lot of questions about what the role of Pakistan is in this war. How this is going to play out between America and Pakistan um, remains to be seen. I think, you know, th this has been a very rocky relationship for several years now. Um, I think both sides, to some degree, have learned to live with their differences, because the truth of the matter is that the US and Pakistan have different objectives in Afghanistan um, and th th those differing objectives do sometimes clash. I wonder how you would respond. There's, there's a certain uh, group of people in the US particularly who seem to be saying essentially this is, there's nothing new contained in these documents, this is essentially uh, old news but that it confirms a set of critiques that have already existed. It, it, it is very similar to the contours of many of the arguments that are made about what's wrong with the US involvement in Afghanistan. Do you think that's, that's a fairly accurate picture, or do you think that misses it? I think, broadly speaking, that's probably a fair picture. I mean, there are a number of, yeah. you know, important elements that have come out of this. There's the ISI element. Uh, there are, have been files that, for instance, have shown that the Taliban have had a greater capacity to shoot down Western aircraft using surface-to-air missiles than when was previously thought. So that's something we didn't know. Um, but I th for, for me, really, one of the most valuable things in this exercise is the very uh, unvarnished, um, you know, gritty, on-the-ground picture of the fighting that you get. You know, you, you, in many of these reports, you very much get the sense of the soldiers on the ground grappling with very difficult situations, um, you know, which often have very tragic outcomes, unfortunately. I mean, there are a lot of reports in here about civilian casualties, something that we tend to know about in terms of statistics, because these things often happen in remote areas where there's no reporting. And, these, and, and, and the sort of dispatches that you see here from the soldiers actually bring it to life and tell you about the small tragedies you know, that, 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 that make the chaos of the war in Afghanistan and that also have a very significant impact on Afghan perceptions of this war and why they think it's going wrong. Declan Walsh, foreign correspondent for The Guardian newspaper, thank you so much for your time tonight. My pleasure.
So if you're the Obama administration and you've just been informed of this massive leak of government documents, how do you respond? Well, you respond first, of course, by condemning the leak. That's what White Houses do. But then by trying to minimize the important and ultimate impact of these documents. And the way the Obama administration has chosen to do that is to stress that these documents are totally outdated, that they're years old. The first response from the administration came from National Security Advisor General Jim Jones. He released a statement that read, in part, quote, the documents posted by WikiLeaks reportedly cover a period of time from January 2004 to December 2009. On December 1, 2009, President Obama announced a new strategy, the substantial increase in resources for Afghanistan precisely because of the grave situation that had developed over several years. That sentiment, that this is old news, was echoed today by White House Press Secretary Robert Gibbs. In terms of broad revelations, there, uh, there aren't any that we see in these documents. And let's understand this. When you talk about the way the war is going in Afghanistan, the documents purportedly cover, but from January, I think January 2004 to December 2009. When the president came into office in 2009, he uh, in the first few months ordered an increase in the number of our troops. A little later in the day, the State Department made sure to hit on the same note. Quote, these are in many cases documents that are several years old. Ditto Democratic Chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, Ike Skelton, quote, it is critical that we not use outdated reports to paint a picture of the cooperation of Pakistan in our efforts in Afghanistan. These leaked reports predate our new strategy in Afghanistan. In the past 24 hours or so, it's been a full frontal, unified PR effort from those in power to try to downplay these documents, to say, this is all in the past. This is why we decided to change strategy. Everything is new now. These documents don't reflect the current reality on the ground. That's what the administration and administration supporters in Congress have tried to do, to say essentially these documents don't matter that much. The problem with that argument is evident in dispatches coming from the ground in Afghanistan, not in 2004 or 05 or 06, but right now. Earlier this month, of course, Rachel traveled to Afghanistan and laid out a number of on-the-ground challenges that exist there. Challenges that are echoed in these year-old WikiLeaks documents, like, for instance, making sure that U.S. money winds up in the right hands, or making sure that local government officials and police aren't seen as feckless and corrupt. Those are the challenges in 2010, not 2004. So the question is, how much does Afghanistan right now exhibit all the structural problems that surfaced in these documents? So it goes another lonely day You're saving time but you're miles away Your flowers drowning in some bitter tea You're seeing life's opportunity Find your mirror, go and look inside You see the talent you're always hiding don't go kid yourself or not today Satisfaction's not far away Hold on now, your excess is waiting just for you Oil spill has ended, so there's nothing to worry about except the wiki spill. <laughs> Jim. WikiLeaks is publishing what it says is more than 90,000 U.S. military reports filed about the war in Afghanistan from 2004 to 2009. Raw data from the front line. A day-by-day -day unvarnished view of the war by U.S. soldiers themselves. This is outrageous. First body armor, now we're not supplying our soldiers with varnish? <laughs> 
on. Come on, Obama. Now, the culprits here is WikiLeaks, a whistleblower website founded by Julian Assange, friend of the show and enemy of sunlight. For this... For this and his previous leaks, the CIA is hunting for Assange, but his whereabouts are unknown. Although based on this recent interview he gave to British television, he's either hiding out in heaven or that place where the progressive auto lady lives. Which I believe is called insurgatory. And, and the CIA should nail this guy. They gave critical information to our enemies, right? It poses a, a very real and potential threat um, to those that uh, are working hard every day to keep us safe. Yeah, they're chock full of military secrets. There's everything, broad new revelations, right? There's nothing, there's no broad new revelations in this. <laughs> So, how can it be both top secret and nothing new? Shh, that's classified. <laughs> now, I haven't read any of it, so I can't say what's in it. To find out what's in it, let's go to some other people who haven't read it. They're set to reveal unreported incidents of civilians killed by NATO forces. Those documents suggest that Pakistan, a key U.S. ally, is aiding Afghanistan's insurgents. They tell us something about how difficult the war is. Shocking stuff. Innocent people have died. Pakistan is not the most trustworthy partner, and Afghanistan is a tough place to wage a war. This information and more is also available on my new website, Obvelix, <laughs> where you can find such groundbreaking revelations as Lindsay Lohan Troubled, Hungry Monkey Banana Good, and Bear in Woods Reports Catholic Pope. So, I say... If it doesn't reveal anything new, there's absolutely no point in leaking all of this information. Here to whittle a point onto leaking all of this information, please welcome the director of the National Security Archive, Tom Blanton. Tom, thanks so much. Good to see you. Now, Tom, you're one of these open information guys, right? You think documents we should... fetishes. Documents yeah. fetishes. Oh, I need to know what everybody is doing in my name. That's your deal, right? Close. Okay, so what is the possible purpose of publishing this 90,000, 200,000 pages, 90,000 documents, 200,000 pages if we're not learning anything new and it's just bumming us out? What's the purpose? The purpose is to get some sand in our shoes. We got a war going on over Excuse there. Me? Nine years. <laughs> get some sand yes, we got in a, our you shoes. You got a war get, going on. We know there's a war, people okay? People dying. I That's, know that. It's easy to look over there at this beautiful set and never it's notice. A gorgeous, gorgeous set. set. Yes. And never notice that behind the set there's a war going on. Over I know there. there's a war going on, my friend. Exactly. I support the troops. Do you support Absolutely. the troops? Absolutely. You do. Absolutely. You support the troops by getting information out there that could be used by the enemy and is only available also in the New York Times. You know, and <laughs> exactly. And the Guardian and Der Spiegel. And what's interesting, Stephen, I think you may have actually had an impact on this. 
Because me? that guy Julian Assange appeared on your show. He was back on the show. April. Yes, he did. And he said we have the right to publish everything, and you descended on him like that American eagle in your logo with your talons bare. I tore him limb and from limb. Limb from limb. Right? I feasted on his liver. On floor, exactly. Floor, You're right. Okay. And you know what? They changed their deal. You know what they did this time around? They didn't just throw it out there on the web. They gave it to the mainstream media, the New York Times, to check it out, to vet it. They gave they it to America's enemies, the New York Times. <laughs> no, only so, Stevens in So have you, read any, have you read any of this yeah, stuff? only about a thousand of them. So a thousand? A thousand pages or a thousand documents? A thousand individual reports. Some okay, so about, so about 1.1%. About 1.1% like, 1 1 of these. What, and what, if you learned anything in there that would be worth us all knowing about at the cost of our safety? Yep that war is hell and civilians die and we might want to pay attention but that's but, worth but, knowing but, for a democracy but, but, but of course of course that. we know that we know that before we make the decision to go to war but that decision's been made afghanistan is the good war okay for a good cause and is a war that war. we won <laughs> nine years ago and we will continue to have won it nine years ago for however long it takes to keep winning it. now Stephen, that would be front page news if true but we did. Well, these reports say we didn't, and we're not. And it's a tough slog. And there's a lot of people dying. Our guys are dying. A bunch of Afghans are dying. Do you think these things were released in order to influence our opinion of the war and get us to pull out? Because they're clearly biased. Probably. Wiki, WikiLeaks certainly had that motive. I don't know what the original leaker's motive was. You know, it's, the allegations is a young guy, 22 years old. Maybe he's just applying the Facebook mentality to all these classified documents. You put it all out there. You put your embarrassing video out there. You put your secret oh, documents out there. His Facebook status was treasonous. Well... <laughs> Tom Blanton, thank you so much. Abuse to make he's got in me. Abuse is the white band, a baby on the way. And his bills are already paid. No need to scream, no need to say. But all around him, the world grows hard. He thinks to himself he must have played a lucky card. If he was alone, he'd give it all away to people and things that he wanted to say. Congrats to WikiLeaks for releasing all those 92,000 documents on the Afghan war. It's the biggest peak into U.S. military operations since Daniel Ellsberg's Pentagon Papers back in the Vietnam War. And like the Pentagon Papers, these new documents show the U.S. war effort to be much less rosy than the White House has portrayed it. For one thing, the Taliban have successfully used surface-to-air missiles to bring down U.S. helicopters, the documents reveal. But most telling of all is the confirmation in great detail of the links between the Pakistani intelligence service and the Taliban. According to the WikiLeaks documents, the ISI not only meets with the Taliban, it advises the Taliban on who to attack in Afghanistan. An ISI member is reported to be planting bombs in Kabul, and a former director of the ISI is reported in the documents to be meeting repeatedly with Taliban leaders. This is nuts. The U.S. is giving the government of Pakistan a billion dollars a year in aid, and that country's intelligence agency is turning around and advising the Taliban on how to wage war against U.S. forces in Afghanistan? No wonder the war is going so badly.
I love hearing from listeners who write in to tell me about how this show positively impacts their lives. It reinforces the idea that what I'm doing really may be making a little bit of a difference. What I love even more is that it's the support of the listeners themselves which makes this show possible. If you appreciate the service this show provides, you can make individual donations or become a member and donate $5 a month or even save a couple of bucks by paying for a year in advance. Member support gives me the time it takes to produce 10 shows per month, and in return, members receive access to bonus audio and video content through members-only raw feeds. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Now more about Iraq. The... uh deadliest July, the deadliest month in two years this past July, which to me says, you know, good progress. But uh, looking back into the past now, as uh, has been done for the past six or seven months in Great Britain, the Iraq inquiry rang down the curtain on public testimony this week. Uh, Witnesses included Hans Blix the former chief of U.N. weapons inspectors in Iraq. Um, And I know he was widely derided by uh, administration officials at the time, yet, of course, what Hans Hans Blix said then seems to have been validated by subsequent events. Uh, He's also an attorney, an international law attorney, (laughs) international law. So uh, when he opines that the war was illegal, he at least has a, a thing on his wall to um, to back him up. Anyway, he came up with a a, uh, a phrase I'd not heard before in describing his assessment of why the diplomatic track and in- including the return of inspectors, weapons inspectors to Iraq, was short circuited in 2003. He said uh, the diplomatic calendar conflicted with the military calendar. Uh, we had to start fighting before it got too hot in Iraq to fight. And uh, here's the phrase that stuck in my mind from that testimony. He said the United States was high on military, unquote. Meanwhile, the British Foreign Office has declined to comment on claims by a former diplomat that had blocked key parts of his testimony to the Iraq inquiry. Karn Ross, the British Iraq expert at the U.N. from 1997 to 2002, said the Foreign Office withheld documents he requested and warned him not to refer to a key memo. The Foreign Office says we're not going to comment on what witnesses have said. Ross appeared before the inquiry earlier this month, alleged that deep state elements were preventing the inquiry from finding out the true reason for the invasion of Iraq in 2003. He said he had planned to detail how the British government failed to consider, let alone implement, available alternatives to military action. But he said he was prevented from doing this because the Foreign Office withheld documents, including one he claimed related to a visit to Syria by former Prime Minister Tony Blair, and another on a failure to deal with a pipeline, he said, enabled Iraq to illegally export oil through Syria. He said he was told such documents could not be found. He said that explanation was simply not plausible. And then the week ended with testimony by the former Deputy Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, John Prescott. Ladies and gentlemen, he talked for quite a while, as these people tend to do. I'll call your attention just, I'm sure you've heard this, It's been on the news, I'm sure. Uh, I will call your attention just to this question and answer sequence. Uh, And please note the name and the party affiliation 
of the person he refers to as the first person he heard from that the United States was, after 9-11, going into Iraq. Lord Prescott, when did you personally first become aware of the discussion between the Prime Minister and the President that might lead to the removal of Saddam Hussein? Well, I think the first awareness was when I visited the United States. Uh, that was when? Uh, just um, a couple of days after 9-11. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a meeting with Mr. Cheney, uh, Vice President, and uh, I can recall the meeting because uh, the, him and the President were being hidden in different parts of the UK and I had to conduct my interview by a video you mean screen. different parts of the USA? Uh, yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. But I had to do it by a video screen. And I couldn't help but point out that perhaps uh, he was hiding in a cave that, cave that was probably more luxurious than Bill Lard Bin Laden. Uh, but he, in going to America at that time, I talked to a number of my senator friends, Democrat ones, and I was absolutely surprised to find them talking about an aggressive attitude that Iraq was unfinished business. And one of my own friends for 25 years, Senator Chris Dodd, uh, I said, Chris, how can you be expressing this? He said, it's unfinished business, we've got to sort it out. And when I talked to some of the chairmen of the uh, various defense committees uh, there, it was clear they were planning. And I came back to uh, Tony and said, I don't know what you think and what you're getting, but they are planning to go in with us or without us, but they are going to do it. And I think the evidence has shown that. So that was my first alarm, that it was being planned, that it was a military intervention, it was regime change. Uh, and that's what they were embarked upon while we were talking about let's get them through the UN. When he came back and you mentioned that to Prime Minister Tony Blair, what was his reaction? What did he say to you? In his mind, he knew that the military people were planning, but he had to get them off that course. Well, he did a good, he did a good job of it. Chris Dodd, ladies and gentlemen, days after 9-11. Just, you know, a little piece, little little nutty piece of the historical record from the Iraq inquiry in Great Britain now mercifully ended for uh, for the sake of all of us because you know we don't need to know this stuff this is this is totally this is this is scaring the horses october's got those orange eyes but somehow i still lost sight when you lifted the lid off of my pumpkin head and kissed me goodnight should it be a thorn in my side we never Broke that horse She slept in the cul-de-sac ride Seven miles from my front WikiLeaks.org, a whistleblower website, has published what it says are nearly 92,000 official U.S. documents about the war data. in Afghanistan from 2004 to 2009. Raw data from the front line. It poses a, a, a very real and potential threat to those that uh, are working hard every day to keep us safe. Some 91,000 documents related to the U.S. war in Afghanistan were released last Sunday, minus 15,000 they delayed for, quote, harm minimization reasons. The political and military impact won't be known for some time, but the single largest leak of classified documents in U.S. history is a tremendous display of power by the self-described whistleblower site WikiLeaks, which paired with three news outlets, the New York Times, the Guardian, and Der Spiegel, for a 
as wide a reach as possible. According to two of those internal military memos leaked by WikiLeaks, on August 25, 2009, the 2nd Battalion 8th Marines Echo Company in Afghanistan exchanged small arms fire, or SAF, with the enemy, or EN. The documents itemize each instance of SAF from each specific location and conclude their account with the bomb that was finally used. In U.S. military terms, Primal 3-1 Harrier dropped one GBU-12 on the compound, effectively suppressing the EN threat. But according to Noah Shackman of Wired Magazine, who was with Echo Company during the firefights, this step-by-step military account only tells a fraction of the story. The sort of critical moment in the documents is that a Harrier jet dropped a 500-pound laser-guided bomb on a compound, and it says the threat was suppressed. But what it doesn't say is how many times the captain opted not to use that bomb because, one, he was worried about the damage to civilian life or to civilian property, and two, the rules set down by General Stanley McChrystal, his boss's 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 boss, said that you really can't use air power in any instance unless it's really, really, really critical. And then when the captain finally did decide to drop that bomb, it says the enemy threat was suppressed. But the suppression only lasted 17 minutes, and then the fighting started again. What the documents don't even allude to is while this American captain was fighting the fight, his British counterpart and his Afghan counterpart were in the nearby villages sitting down with local elders trying to gain their support. What else do you think was missing? One of the important things missing was just in how much danger... The Marines were there. These guys were surrounded. And yet still their captain held off from dropping a bomb that might have ended the conflict instantly. You know, there were bullets flying by people's heads and missing by inches. These memos that were released were basically written from someone in the field to his boss or her boss. Yeah, and I think we've all got experience with inner office memos and they don't always tell what's going on in the office. Readers might be led to believe that all that's going on in Afghanistan is people shooting each other or blowing stuff up, and that's just not the case. So what do the documents say about the military's own internal communications? They say that they've got to change. The military is still talking to itself as if blowing up stuff and shooting guys are the most important metrics, and in a fight like this, they're not. David Kilcullen, who's a, who's a big theorist of counterinsurgency and a practitioner too, talks about counterinsurgencies as a wide scope of conflict that starts from armed coercion to more soft political persuasion. Military's communication these days only seems to concentrate on the armed coercion part, but until it encompasses all of it, it's not really going to get at uh, this larger competition. What do you think readers should bring to these documents when they read them? I think they've got to bring a critical eye. They can't be duped into thinking that this is the raw, unvarnished capital T truth. What they're reading is just kind of an echo of what actually went on. Noah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Noah Schachtman writes for Wired Magazine, WikiLeaks has demonstrated its ability to flout U.S. law by being, in effect, stateless, guided by different priorities than the more traditional advocates of sunlight. It lives by the rules of the Internet. Here's Julian Assange, WikiLeaks founder, explaining his code of conduct. We're an activist organization. The method is transparency. The goal is justice. Stephen Aftergood is the longtime writer of the email newsletter and blog Secret 
Secrecy News. For years, he's reported and researched government secrecy and advocated for U.S. government transparency. He's no stranger to the antagonism between secrecy and disclosure. But in recent months, he's been a critic of WikiLeaks and its methods. Stephen, welcome back to the show. Thank you. So in June, you wrote a blog post offering some praise for WikiLeaks, but you didn't mince words when it came to its failings. You wrote, quote, it is not whistleblowing and it is not journalism. It is a kind of information vandalism. What I was responding to there was a pattern of activity by WikiLeaks in which they were disclosing confidential records of social and religious groups like the Masons and the Mormons and several others, that did not reveal any misconduct. And it seemed to me that they were using the posture of transparency as a kind of weapon against disfavored groups. And to me, that was a really repugnant thing to do. What about the video of the Apache helicopter attack in Iraq in 2007 that WikiLeaks leaked in April? Well, that I thought was a perfectly legitimate disclosure. I wish the Pentagon had released it when they had been asked to do so. The problem I had there with WikiLeaks was that they edited and presented an excerpt from the longer video in what I thought was a heavy-handed propagandistic fashion, starting with the name they gave to the video, Collateral Murder. I thought they undermined their own presentation by the way they packaged it. So, to this week, WikiLeaks offered the material first to three major news outlets, and all of them and WikiLeaks decided to withhold certain names and details to protect people. Is this a sign that WikiLeaks is maturing, or did it just cave in to pressure from the news outlets? The mere fact that they acknowledged that there might be reasons to withhold certain records is a very important concession. It means that transparency is not the unique and overriding value, but that it needs to be factored in along with others, such as security and privacy. On the other hand, those names, those details that might endanger somebody are probably going to be released by WikiLeaks. Whenever you do a wholesale release of enormous quantities of confidential or classified records, you run serious risks. And they're not risks to WikiLeaks, they are risks to individuals who might be named in those records, to U.S. relations with allies, to intelligence networks. It is not risk-free. You've developed your own tacit list of what should or shouldn't be disclosed when it comes to secret information. How has your behavior evolved over these years? I have been willing to do what WikiLeaks up to this point has refrained from doing, consult with government agencies that may have originated the information when we're talking about currently classified records. A document that seems utterly benign may nevertheless reveal significant information that could pose a threat when viewed by either an opponent or a skilled analyst. That doesn't mean you yield your decision-making power or your news judgment 
But let's face it, the usual challenge from officials when documents are leaked is that they jeopardize national security. The White House has cited that objection in nearly every public statement this week. How do you determine when the critique is legitimate? You know, if you don't want me to publish something, you don't tell me, well, it's classified. You don't tell me it would damage national security. You tell me a specific security argument about the likely consequences of the disclosure of a particular item of information. And if that argument is at all plausible, I myself am inclined to give it serious consideration. Stephen, you rightly, I think, pride yourself on having achieved real institutional change. You've compelled the government to declassify, what, hundreds of thousands of documents? Do you feel a little envious of a group like WikiLeaks that can affect the global conversation on such a grand scale? Well, I would say I'm impressed by WikiLeaks. I mean, I think they literally made headlines in every significant news organization there is. I think they have a long ways to go in developing a code of conduct. I would also say that in the U.S., the political process is still flexible enough that it is possible to put forward an argument for a change in policy and to see that change put into practice. We've seen more than a billion pages of historically valuable records declassified since 1995. So I look with a little bit of concern at the broadsides that WikiLeaks is launching at the classification system. They seem oriented not towards fixing it, but towards defeating it. But when it comes to crucial information that really needs to get before the public quickly, you sort of remind me of that character in the uh, Indiana Jones film, the guy with the fancy swordplay, whereas WikiLeaks is like Indiana Jones. He just takes the gun and shoots him. It's a blunt instrument, but it works. Yeah. I'm talking about systemic reform, which does take a long time. There is a place for leaks. Almost every day in the national news, there is a significant story that involves the unauthorized disclosure of classified information. And that is as it should be, as long as the classification system is applied too broadly. Even if WikiLeaks is more of a blunt object than you'd like it to be, does the good outweigh the bad? I think a lot of their talk about fighting injustice is pretty woolly and a little hard to take seriously. Whether the good outweighs the bad, there are lots of potential consequences of just this latest release that may turn out to be really positive and constructive, including a change of course in the war, perhaps. And there are potential consequences that are disastrous, including the potential loss of life and future difficulties in assembling new intelligence networks because sources will lack confidence that the U.S. can keep the secrets it commits to keeping.
First, David Cameron annoyed Israel, then Pakistan. We've already annoyed the US. It's our new foreign policy. Only annoy nuclear-armed countries. <laughs> Finally, a reason to keep Trident. Brilliant. Because the conventional wars aren't going so well. This week, 90,000 documents about the Afghan conflict were leaked onto the internet. Although 90,000 documents isn't really just a leak. That's only just a leak if you're BP's public relations department. <laughs> How many documents have been leaked? Oh, we estimate somewhere around five or six. Oh, I don't want to go to Siberia. <laughs> 90,000 documents is a bit of an overestimate of people's attention span, though, because no one's going to wade through all those. No, if they really wanted to get the information out to the public, they needed to condense it down to 140 characters and get Stephen Fry to tweet it. <laughs> or, if they're really clever, Keith Chegwin. <laughs> it's all in the public domain anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Or George Formby, whoever. Yeah. Formby's best mate. <laughs> I haven't heard him talk for 25 years. <laughs> Governments are probably over-worrying. This information came out on a site called WikiLeaks, which sounds as if it's connected with Wikipedia and probably consists of top-secret documents that anyone can edit. Read all about it. Top Taliban warlord played saxophone solo on Baker Street. <laughs> WikiLeaks is not affiliated to Wikipedia. It just shares the wiki bit, which is, of course, Latin for internet. And <laughs> they have acquired a huge amount of secret information. Now, of course, we know from the movies that that's very easy to do. All Pentagon computers have a big bar reading downloading files that creeps up to 100% just as the guard comes back. But it turns out, in real life, it's actually even simpler. The alleged whistleblower copied everything onto CDs, avoiding detection by putting headphones on and pretending to sing along to Lady Gaga. <laughs> Which raises the question, was nobody else in the CIA able to read his, couldn't read his, couldn't read his poker face? <laughs> U.S. Uh, officials, of course, have criticised WikiLeaks for publishing the material, saying it could be a risk to national security. Uh, the problem seems to be combining freedom of speech with not wanting the Taliban to read it. A simple solution here would be for WikiLeaks to publish all 90,000 documents, but with a cartoon of Mohammed on each page. <laughs> Among the revelations in the documents was the fact that Osama bin Laden, far from vanishing more completely than Wayne Rooney last month, was reportedly spotted at a village gathering in 2006. I declare this faith open. Given this relatively recent sighting, there is now a worry that he's alive and directing operations. I'm not sure that's the conclusion you should draw. I mean, over here, if you're asked to open a fate, you might be technically alive, but your career is almost certainly over. Daddy! Who's that man? That's Osama Bin Laden, love. He used to be in Al-Qaeda. Oh, dear, he's crashed up dog wagon into Tombola. <laughs> the uh, documents also indicated that he'd been involved in a plot to poison British soldiers. We can only assume maybe that was part of the same afternoon. This homemade jam is disgusting. I need 2,000 jars. <laughs> Overall, the leaks paint a pretty depressing picture of faulty intelligence, civilian casualties and failure. But it's not all bad. There's a brighter side. One American report from a school visit stated... They were all very friendly and seemed to be interested to talk with us. Some of the children were throwing rocks at the soldiers outside the school. This all appeared to be in good fun, not in a hateful manner. <laughs> 
course, throwing rocks, the international symbol of good fun. <laughs> Kids, of course, use that technique all the time. Granddad's here, children. Hello, everyone. Oh, hell, blimey. You can support this podcast at no additional cost yourself when you shop at Amazon through a special widget posted at bestoftheleft.com. You can use the widget to search for what you're looking for or simply click through and shop the site normally. Better yet, click through on the widget once and bookmark that page to use every single time you shop. By doing this, Amazon will donate around 7 or 8% of the cost of your order to support this show without adding a dime to your bill. It's very little effort on your part, but can make a huge difference to support the show. Check out the widget on the right side of bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. begin with explosive news secrets are out about the war in afghanistan not just a leak but a flood of secret documents 92,000 documents it's the biggest leak in u.s military history really 92,000 pages i would hope that would be the biggest leak <laughs> seeing as that beats the pentagon papers by i don't know 85,000 pages Perhaps this might be an appropriate time to let leakers of military documents know it's not a competition. <laughs> so, uh, some, uh, some top secret mm -hmm. We just came from an off-camera uh, session with Colonel Dave LaPan, a Pentagon spokesman. He says it looks to be secret in nature, not top secret. Oh, it's just secret! <laughs> I was worried, I thought it was top secret. It's just secret! That is a much lower security classification than top secret. It actually goes army classification wise uh, secret, then top secret, and then of course, uh, I believe pop secret. <laughs> that is where all of our military information is encoded in fluffy and delicious butter coated kernels. Oh. So pernicious. An intelligence breach of this magnitude must have been coordinated by a conspiracy of high level masterminds with ninja like powers of concealment. Last May, a California computer hacker was contacted online by someone calling himself Bradass87. He said he was an army intelligence analyst deployed to Baghdad who had access to classified networks that showed incredible things, awful things, that belong in the public domain. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. Brad Ass 87, really? <laughs> the incredible super mole spy went by the name Brad Ass 87 and told the computer hacker that he was in army intelligence. Let me take a whack at trying to solve this. Maybe I, I've been watching Bones too much, but uh, computer, search through the files looking for an army specialist named Brad who's 87 years old. No, wait! Born in 1987. And go. On May 26th, Army Specialist Brad Manning, born in 1987, was arrested outside of Baghdad and is now in a military prison. How did they find him? How did they do it? Well in, Sherlock Holmes. By the way, Brad, you also might want to delete your Army Specialist.BradManning backslash leak guy at ItWasMe.BradManning. 
Does Bradass87 have any idea what he's done to the American military? Not to mention what he's done to the life of Dove Soap heir Bradford Assington the 87th. <laughs> Hasn't he suffered enough? For Christ's sake, the 87th generation of Assingtons. All the money in the world can't change that last name. That's why he's a douchebag. Is that, I'm just curious, is that a stock photo? I'm over. <laughs> Probably guys and we're going, I thought that was a modeling job. <laughs> Look, uh, maybe Manning didn't need a, a, a secret name. Maybe his data collection skills were that stealth. He allegedly also described how he downloaded the classified information. I would come in with music on a CD labeled with something like Lady Gaga and erase the music recording intelligence onto the CD instead, allegedly writing that he lip-synced to Lady Gaga while exfiltrating possibly the largest data spillage in American history. I believe the obvious question here is, how does a soldier sit around lip-syncing to Lady Gaga all day and not run afoul of don't ask, don't tell. That, that has got to be a substitute for telling, no? So wikileaks.org has posted 92,000 classified documents about the Afghan war online. Well, let's, let, let's, let's take a look. What is the, uh, is it, oh, okay. Wow. Apparently our war strategy in Afghanistan is being encoded in Justin Bieber's Twitter account. Any news organizations out there taking the time to maybe wade through these documents and boil it down a bit for us? The leaked records give precise accounts of missions gone horribly wrong. Helicopters shot down, two religious schools are providing 95% of suicide attackers. There is also horrifying detail about civilian deaths in 2007. Pakistan's military intelligence agency, the ISI, is helping the Afghan insurgency attack American troops. What the f <laughs> Pakistan is doing, we give them billions of dollars of aid. The, the Pakistan is funneling that money to the Taliban, one of the chief financial contributors to our enemy is us. <laughs> we have ostensibly put a hit out on ourselves. <laughs> This is insanity! Or to put it another way... Oh, I think there's nothing new really here. This is sort of a storm in a, in a teacup. The substance, frankly, is not new. On the content, there really is nothing essentially fundamentally new. Yeah, see, I'm not reacting to the newness of it. I'm reacting to the uppedness of it. What does it take to get you guys fired up? What does it... what does it do? Seriously, what all these documents are doing is exposing the existential trap we find ourselves in in Afghanistan. I guess it's no kid may or may not be in balloon. <laughs> that, that was crazy. <laughs> that whole afternoon I was like, is he in there? <laughs> well, hopefully with a little time and perspective, 
we will be able to answer the important questions these documents pose. How much of a political uh, bump of the road is this for the White House? How is this going to fare for Democrats? Is it in President Obama's political interest to talk more or less about war? Has the president read enough of it himself to be shocked? Was he personally angered by this? Did he demand uh, answers? Who gives you <laughs> You know, I think we have a reverse angle on the story that reporter was filing that day. Oh, yes, that's it. You know, that guy is the, uh, that guy's the Washington bureau chief for Highlights Magazine. You know, it makes you realize no matter how many pages of documents are leaked by some total brat ass, to really understand the complexity and absurdity faced by U.S. forces in Afghanistan, nothing beats video. Like this new Al Jazeera video of Afghan National Police getting... Oh, I'd guess you say ready <laughs> to accompany our troops on patrol in one of the deadliest regions in the world. In the past, we've had some issues with certain AMP uh, getting high on patrol, and uh, I wouldn't say it, I feel threatened, but they act silly. You know, just like anybody who smokes weed, they just act ridiculous, and it's hard to get them to focus. They won't stay quiet. They just got the giggles. <laughs> America is fighting an outlandishly well-financed insurgency that is becoming more and more deadly. Uh, trying to rebuild a nation's security and infrastructure as difficult a task as can be in a part of the world that has not been conquered in thousands of years. Apparently they're trying to do it with my friends from high school. Sophomore year. You rushed for an average of eight and a third yards per carry. We got some funding from from NYU. Um, NYU has really screwed us in the last couple of weeks, now that I think about Seriously, it. Seriously, yeah. Um, but much like um, when we did this sort of Republican exchange program thing with them a couple of weeks ago from Montreal, um, right now they just have uh, one of their film students kind of sitting in, I guess sort of like student teaching? I don't know what it is. Um, but he's kind of here. He's not going to really talk, but I figured we would just uh, introduce him. And uh, I don't even know your last name, but Jeff, uh, hello. Welcome to Citizen Radio. Hey, what's up? I just go by Jeff. Okay. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm, a, yeah, I'm a film student at NYU, and I guess what I'm doing is just observing, because as a filmmaker, okay, that's uh, what I like to do. Sure, sure, sure. So okay. feel free to observe, and Great. we're just going to, I guess, go right into this WikiLeaks story. Sure, we can do that. Um, uh, and if you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be a dick. If you do have any questions, about just uh, process or anything. I'm sure lots of our fans also want to have radio shows or podcasts down the future, so maybe that could actually be helpful. But, uh, you know, just right now we'll talk about this because it's pretty huge. Right. So I'm sure everybody remembers WikiLeaks from the video they released that showed uh, the footage in Iraq of the helicopter pilot and crew 
killing innocent civilians, shooting children. So they released 90... And a journalist. And a journalist. Thank you. I hear all of those things are illegal. Yes, and horrible. So just recently, WikiLeaks released 90,000 pages of documents, secret classified documents, on the Afghanistan war that reveal horrible, amazing things. Like, for example, Pakistan has been aiding the Taliban. Hmm. And that the U.S. has killed far more civilians than they've been reporting. Uh, Here's the thing. You know how many civilians I thought we already killed? A lot. A shitload. Well, apparently it's way more than we thought, which is horrifying. Oh, can I just jump in real quick? I just want to say that I... Have I, you been following this the case? I've Well, I saw those videos you talked about, and I found it horrifying how poorly shot they were. I know, the tragedy, what? The, the camera angle, it was just like, I couldn't tell what was going on. It looked like they just had like well, one setup. You know, it wasn't and like a movie. It was shot in conflict with... Anything know. that's videotaped is like a movie. Okay. Well, but anyway, I don't want to... Well, I just want to say that as a film student, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I thought their, their mise-en-scene was just so poor and the way that everything was, comp- I don't know, composed the frame. Yeah, but I think they, they were more... I mean, that's really kind of a horrifying statement. I mean, they weren't trying to make a art film. I mean, they were in the heat of battle and they just used the only resource they had which was the shaky camera I mean they were filming it while in a helicopter and really I mean with all the fear and adrenaline I mean it captured war crimes it doesn't matter how they captured it I mean it captured America uh, American soldiers murdering innocent civilians and that's really what the story is and that's what we're trying to talk about right and now of course this is so predictable people are saying things like Julian Assange who's the creator founder of WikiLeaks is a traitor and actually he's on the run right now um the police and the FBI CIA are all looking for him they would like to arrest him I'm sorry I can't get Jeff right yeah, 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 Jeff. You understand that in that video, I'm sorry to cut you off, Allison, but that's like insanity. Like, in the video, people were murdered. Like, it wasn't fake. Like, maybe you no, thought no, it was... No, 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 no. I know it wasn't fake. I, I don't... And I think the things that were happening in the video were horrible. I just think that if the, for the camera to really complement the horrible things that are going on, to really accentuate them, I'd like to see, like... I don't know, just a little bit more facial reactions, a little bit more... They were being shot! I know, I, you know, I, I might back off this a little bit, because I, I see where you're coming from, but just from a pure craft perspective, I found it lacking. But anyway, go ahead, this sounds like, a, I don't want to... Well, okay, yeah, I'll let you get well, back, but, but right. when you get shot, I mean, he looked like he was getting shot. I, I don't know if he had to sell... It was from very high up, I I don't think the zoom worked, you know, if they could actually see his Oh, uh, yeah, camera problems, camera hey, problems, here's I an idea. That. You don't need to defend uh, the camera problems and You're right, and you're, you're right, you're right, I'm moving on. So... Julian Assange. Julian Assange. There's a lot of comparisons that can be drawn here between Julian and Daniel Ellsberg, who was yeah. the man who released the Pentagon Papers, which is credited as helping ending Vietnam. Right. Um, so it's interesting. You know, people were writing me the other day saying, what are the limits here? Is this treason? Is this journalism? Yeah. Now, I mean, j- just for anyone who hasn't been following it that closely, I mean, the reason that people would say it's treasonous and the reason that many Republicans are, and you'll even hear Democrats saying that the same thing is they are going to say that by releasing these documents, it is putting America at risk. Sure. Um, the problem is, and where it gets tricky, 
is we are committing war crimes. So it's kind of a, a very similar argument to when George Bush didn't want pictures of the caskets coming back. Yeah. Where it's going to be like, well, that's going to piss people off. Right. But... This is the true face of war. This is, right. Which you started, where it's like, you know, we, or, or even Obama, we can't release some of those torture pictures because it'll piss people off. Yeah. Well, an idea could be stop torturing people and then there won't be pictures to release. Right. And then you're fine. By the way, also by saying you're not going to release these documents, that's also implying we've already done something so fucking terrible right. that people are going to be pissed off anyway. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, Daniel Ellsberg released the Pentagon Papers when Vietnam was drawing to a close. And the argument can be made that right now, the Afghanistan war is losing popular support. It's losing political support, too. So this is a really smart time to release these thousands of pages of documents. And right before Congress is going to vote on the war supplemental bill, right. where they have to say, oh, we're going to spend this many more billions of dollars on this war. And by the way, Pakistan is helping the Taliban. Thanks for listening, everyone. So today, I actually want to talk a little bit about Citizen Radio, and the reason for that is that uh, I, I've actually gotten a lot of response after I've begun uh, using their show in Best of the Left, obviously, and, uh, you know, I should have seen this coming. Like, they're very uh, outside the mainstream, they're very uh, uh, out of the ordinary, and not really like anything else that's played on this show, so the fact that it got a reaction is not really surprising. So, since it got a reaction, I really felt that uh, you guys deserve a response from me so that everybody knows that your comments are being heard and uh, and that you know what my thoughts are on the issue and my rationale and so forth. So, as part of this response, I actually posted on uh, on Twitter and Facebook uh, asking the question, basically, uh, you know, Citizen Radio, awesome or awful, just let me know what you think. Because, frankly, I'd gotten emails on both sides of that. You know, it wasn't one-sided at all. And, uh, you know, but everyone is very kind of passionate about it. They either love the show or hate it. And there's there's not a whole lot of in-between. And um, and so the, the votes came in. And, you know, between Twitter and Facebook, it received, you know, well over 40 responses. So, you know, a decent number of people. And... Um, the results were actually in favor of the show anyways. So of that, you know, a little bit more than 40 people who uh, expressed opinions, it was about 23 in favor, uh, 16 against, and about six people uh, just undecided. Sometimes I like them, sometimes I don't, pretty much in the middle. So now just a, a couple of uh, instances of people's reactions to it. Uh, people basically said one of three things. Uh, and, and these are incredibly uh, disparate opinions. And so it's, it's amazing that these people apparently heard the same clips and came away with these different opinions. Uh, so first of all, Justin wrote, writes, uh, I think they have some of the keenest insights of any of the commentators you use. Very good at boiling down progressive thought to simple, logical, concise, if profane, points. And two minutes later, Michael writes, thumbs down, what's needed is more substance and insightful commentary, not more comedy. And <laughs> so it's it's amazing. So, so those are the two, you know, the lots of people said they're incredibly insightful and substantive. And then a lot of people said 
uh, I don't like them because they're not insightful or substantive. So very interesting. The third thing that uh, came up most often was uh, whether they're good or not, I find them offensive because I can't believe they said X, Y, or Z. And uh, pr pretty much without fail, the people who said they were offended by X, Y, or Z did not recognize that what they were referring to uh, was satire. And so it's perfectly okay, perfectly okay to not like the show, to, uh, you know, it's not my style, it's not my kind of humor, um, I heard what they were saying and I didn't think it was funny, I don't like it, whatever. It's all totally reasonable. Uh, what, what's, what's not reasonable is to be offended by something that um, was meant as comedy because you didn't understand it to be comedy. So that's, uh, you know, I hope that people can begin to recognize that. For instance, the last clip in today's show, uh, please don't be confused. They did not receive any funding from NYU, and the guy they had in studio was not actually a film student. I, I can see the emails coming in already. Uh, I can, you know, I can't believe that guy was talking about the, you know, cinematography for the WikiLeaks video that's so unbelievably crass that he would say that. Yeah, it was a joke. So, uh, so a lot of that came in, just people not really understanding what they're all about, that they, uh, I think that they're a very substantive news show that uses lots of comedy to kind of help the horrific news go down a little bit easier. And, and this show, I recognize it as having the absolute, you know, more than any other show I've ever heard, the widest uh, range from how substantive they get versus how silly they can get. And that's just their style. Take it or leave it. Now, for a tiny bit more uh, background, instead of doing this myself, uh, I just want to play for a second. They were interviewed on The Young Turks recently, and I, all I'm going to play is Jenks' intro uh, describing them. So here it goes. Now, we've got two uh, great guests for you guys. They do Citizen Radio together. Uh, it's Alison Kilkenny. She's written for just about every lib magazine you could find, uh, The Nation, <laughs> Alternate.org, Huffington Post. Uh, she um, uh, co-wrote at least one of the sections of The Nation's new book, Meltdown, How Greed and Corruption Shattered Our Financial System and How We Can Recover. Stiglitz wrote another part of it. And Jamie Kilstein, his awards and recognition, it's too long, but I'll give you a Janine Garofalo quote, which is crazy. <laughs> watching Jamie reminds me of why I got into comedy. It's like watching a combination of George Carlin and Bill Hicks. Man, guys, that is way too much hype. I don't know how you're going to live up to that. So that starts to give you an idea of a, a little bit of their background and, and the fact that they have a little bit of a base of legitimacy. You know, they're not just a couple of people in their basement that no one should really pay attention to. Uh, you know, they got, got some credibility. And uh, I, I won't read them, but they're, you know, besides that quote from Janine Garofalo, there's also uh, laudatory quotes from Noam Chomsky as well as Liz Winstead, the co-creator of The Daily Show, talking about how, you know, great their radio show is and how important it is for the national debate that there are independent sources of media out there. Not that I need to tell you guys about the need for independent sources of media. So now I, I feel like all that stuff's out of the way. And I want you to understand, I'm not saying these things or playing those quotes at all uh, to try to convince you that you should like them. 
I'm just uh, talking about why I use them on the show. So to continue to illustrate this point, I'm actually going to paraphrase a story that I've heard Jamie say a, a couple of times. And he talks about when he went to an atheist convention. You know, they, they're very atheist. And, uh, and so he was at an atheist convention and there were, uh, it was like a big Richard Dawkins um, event, basically. And so uh, lots of the people who were there were there to see Richard Dawkins. And, you know, it was very uh, proper, very professorial. And so Jamie got up on stage and he kind of did his thing in his own style, which is, you know, a little bit profane, a little bit edgy and all those sorts of things. And he ended up ruffling a lot of feathers where people were saying, like, look, that's not how you should be. You know, we're, uh, you know, we're all atheists here and, you know, we think that the subject should be taken very seriously and uh, everything should be treated with a lot of respect. And Jamie's reaction to that was that, look, there's room for all of us here. You know, Richard Dawkins is here and he attracts a certain crowd to our movement. And I'm here and I recognize that I attract a totally different crowd of people. So, you know, there's crossover based on the issue we're talking about, atheism. But to say that I shouldn't be allowed to come and say what I want to say in the way that I want to say it uh, will actually end up alienating, you know, the younger people, people, you know, who are more edgy, you know, more interested in uh, there being, you know, silly humor uh, that helps them get interested in politics. You know, they get that all the time where, you know, a lot of their listeners wouldn't normally be interested in politics, but because uh, but because these guys can make it, you know, silly and funny, um, it gets people engaged that might not otherwise be engaged. And so I think that story is very analogous for why I would decide to continue to use their material in, in my show in spite of receiving emails saying that they're, you know, they're silly or pointless or not substantive. And it's because, uh, yes, that, you know, they, they joke around, they also cover the news, but what they do is they speak to a different type of person. And so not everyone has to like every source that I pull from. And so, you know, what does that leave me with? I, I just base everything on my own judgment then. I make the show that I want to make. And that leaves you with the ability to use your fast forward button if you like. You know, the show is never going to be exactly the way you want it to be. And all I ask is not that you like everything I use, but recognize that if you don't like something I'm using, someone else does like it and they appreciate it. And that's what I try to have this show be is you know something that speaks to a wide range of people through an incredibly wide range of sources I pull from. So that's basically my whole point on that. I apologize it went a little long today. Uh, I hope that you all now believe that your opinions were heard. Uh, I hope you understand where I'm coming from. And if you want to add your voice to this, please uh, you know post on Facebook to this conversation or start a new conversation. Uh, post comments on the blog for this episode. Or, uh, or send me an email directly, whatever you want to do. So I just want to thank uh, Lindsay T., who signed up for a membership on April 26th, a monthly membership, and uh, Mary Beth K., who signed up uh, for a full year in advance uh, on May 20th. Members make this show happen. I 
appreciate you guys to the ends of the earth. And if you're interested in supporting the show, that is the single biggest uh, way to do it. Uh, if you want to see all the different ways to support the show, just check out the website and there's a big support box with everything you can do. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought it's now black and white.